What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Q&A. For our first question, Audrey and DiamondMan307 ask if Andor will connect with Star Wars Rebels and what events from Rebels will we see in live action? I think that it might in season two, but not in season one. It sounds like season one is that like one year period, five years before the events of Rogue One. And I think it's going to be all about Cassian and Mon Mothma. I don't think there's really a way to bring in the Rebels crew that early in the story. Yeah, plus, depending on how many of the Rebels crew we end up seeing in Ahsoka, it would make sense to introduce them in that show. And then if they, you know, if it fits, bring them into Andor Season 2. Yeah, so Andor Season 1 is five years before Rogue One. I believe that's when Star Wars Rebels Season 1 takes place as well. But at that point, all of the rebellion is not like a rebel alliance yet. They're all various scattered cells that, you know, at the end of Rebel Season 1, we see the the Lothal cell get kind of pulled in closer to, to Bail Organa and Ahsoka and everything they're doing. So I think Andor's probably going to tell a similar story from Andor's point of view that he'll be off on his own cell. Saw Gerrera will be part of the partisans over here but they're not really working together yet. That'd be my guess. It, it It's going to be really cool if we get to see kind of like the beginnings of the Yavin base. Uh, I mean, we hear General Sindula's name being called in Rogue One, so she's there, she's around. Yeah, I think the closer and closer we get to Rogue One, the more and more likely that a, a connection to Rebels is, is to happen. I do think that the way that they've described season two of Andor is that each every three episodes is going to cover one year of Andor's Cassian's life. So I, I guess that <laughs> that final year before Rogue One is when we might have all those characters in the same place. Um, we're not sure if like every episode is going to cover, uh, I don't know, four months or if it's going to be three distinct uh, big events from that one year, or if it's going to be like an arc where three years before Rogue One, Cassian met K2SO, and here are three episodes that tell that specific story. It's like, we're still a little unclear of how season two is going to work. You know who else is on the Yavin base and who I really hope to see interact with K2SO if, if he's in season two, and that's Chopper. Yeah. <laughs> And we know they have a chopper because mm -hmm. they brought him out for celebration. I mean, so. they had one at Rogue One. Uh, I think they've probably updated his design. He looked like he could do a lot more at celebration this year. Uh, yeah, I, I think that a connection is likely. I'm not expecting in season two to have Cassian going on a mission with Hera. Uh, it would be cool. But since none of that stuff happened in Star Wars Rebels, I'm guessing that it won't happen in Andor. But there are events that I would like to see on, in Andor. So the episode where the ghost crew helps Mon Mothma and she makes uh, her transmission across the galaxy, uh, starting the Rebel Alliance and actually gathering all the different cells into one location and one organization. She's on the run because she made a big speech in the Senate condemning Palpatine. So show that. Show that and then show us Cassian hearing her speech mm -hmm. uh, at Dantooine. Like, 
I would love to see some of that Rebels stuff from a new perspective. Damien Vonderhaar and Andrew Zhu want to know if Palpatine will appear in Andor in person, in a hologram, or not at all. I think that if we're going into the Imperial Senate, there should be some Palpatine presence. I, I would really like to see his relationship with the Imperial Senators. I think, yeah, there there has to be a cameo somewhere. In person, maybe. I think hologram is much more likely because that's what we saw in Obi-Wan. Uh, and then just for, for ease uh, of filming for Ian McDermott, I think hologram is way more likely, but I would love to see him in person in the Senate building. I'm the same way. For some reason, hologram just seemed more likely to me. And Palpatine, I could see being the kind of leader to just sit back and like record a message. Literally and be like, phone it in. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> just like, okay, all of you have fun at Imperial Senate today doing nothing because whatever you do, I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, so I don't know why he would even waste his time there. But if we could build to something where he's like, all right, I got to get out of bed and get down there. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I got to really put Mon Mothma in her place or try to. I, I would love to see live action Palpatine in that little pod in the middle of the Senate room. Um, like we have seen that in trailers and it was empty. So that's part of me. I'm like, okay, so he just is really phoning it in. He's not there. But we have seen him in animated form in the bad batch in the imperial senate mm -hmm. so that that's way closer to the time of revenge of the sith but i think that there's a chance for live action palpatine and i would really like to see him in that context where he's not like openly an evil dark sorcerer he's still like a political leader of sorts yeah. i'd like to see how that looks and masamita is there with him too. of course tommy two horns <laughs> Diabologist asks if we'll see the Imperial Palace in Andor. God, I hope so. I really, really hope so. To see, yeah, to, to see the Jedi Temple just completely taken over by Palpatine and the Empire is going to be so, so sad. Yeah, and that's something that uh, wasn't in Legends that they, they made for canon. And when I learned that, I think it was maybe way back in the Lando comics in 2015, I was like, oh, I like that. I like that change a lot that Palpatine would take what was once a great symbol of the Jedi and be like, nope, it's mine now and just completely desecrate it. I think that would be a really fun thing to reveal for people who haven't read the comics or books or whatever and don't know that already. I, I think that would be so much fun. Fun, but sad. So fun and sad. You know, sad and terrible, but in a fun way. It'll be similar to probably how we felt when we saw Camino fall. Yeah. It'll just be, it's, it won't be falling into an ocean. It'll just be under Palpatine's reign. What's well, a good, easy way to communicate just how different things are and how, you know, the Jedi are not around. I don't think we're going to see force users outside of Palpatine, but like I don't think we're going to see any open use of the force in this series. They kind of talked about that in Rogue One where they were like, there aren't any Jedi that are going to, that are going to come in uh, and save the day. And I feel like that's the same vibe they're going for here is that this is, Tony Gilroy has said, this is about the people in the background and what their day-to-day -day is. So I think showing that the Jedi Temple is there, but... It's not anymore is a really 
good way to communicate that. What would be crazy, and I don't think that we'll see this, is if we saw Vader there. Yeah, sure. Vader, Vader's a possibility, too. I, I feel like he's not needed so much as... I, I'm more like Palpatine, political leader Palpatine. I would like to see... But just because Anakin knew what it was before... Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. To see him walking those halls. Yeah. Yeah, I and maybe that's why he's like, just leave me on Mustafar. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take I, my castle over there. He probably doesn't go there because it'll give him flashbacks of what he did there that and it, it might be something that palpatine's like you stay away like it's more that it will bring anakin back to the surface although uh we have seen in the lego specials and like the freemaker adventures they're there together all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> eli is do or do not seven wants to know how heavily we think andor will show the struggle of the rebellion to fight oppression without going too far I think that that is one of the main messages of this series, or what will be. That's my hope. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're gonna go f- pretty far with it. I think that this is a good opportunity for them to get kind of dark and show, like we talked about before, like the military per- police side of the oppression. So not just the faceless stormtroopers, faceless, nameless stormtroopers, but like the people that have joined the empire to, to, you know, to do their bidding. And to oppress their neighbors and fellow citizens. And uh, we're still kind of speculating on what the the characters like Cyril, uh, what they're going to be doing, who these blue uh, armored people are. Uh, And the interview with SFX magazine, Tony Gilroy called them, he said they're like corporate police and that Cyril has... uh, ambitions to get into the isb so it's like this stepping stone to get into the empire more officially i guess mm-hmm. but i do think it will be uh, a planetary police system like we have talked about i think that having saw Guerrera in this is important um because he is the face of the rebellion that goes too far and that yeah his fight is uh noble it's fighting oppression but he is doing the whole like uh, fighting what he hates instead of saving what he loves. And you can see that in Rogue One that they're fighting the Empire on Jeddah with complete disregard for the people who lived there. Like Jin has to go save a small child because Sagarera's people are just like blowing everything up and they don't care as long as they hurt the Empire. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to continue to explore that. And I really want a scene like the one from Rebel Rising, that if you haven't read it, uh, Saw Gerrera goes way too far. And I want to see that on screen. I want the um, people watching this show to feel uncomfortable calling Saw Gerrera like a good guy. Like, I feel like by default he is because he's part of the rebellion. Um, But he's not really. (laughs) Like, if you read some of the stuff he did, I'm like, that's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're on the good side supposedly, but you've gone too far. And so I think having Saw as like the devil on Andor's shoulder and Mon Mothma as the angel, and kind of trying to find the balance of you know sometimes you have to fight, but you don't want to lose yourself. Yeah, and it helps that they've already established all these beats for Saw Gerrera to be the extremist. They've done it in Rogue One and the Clone Wars and books. So easy 
you know, for them for them to show that side of things with him because that's already established. And to talk about Rebels again, we have seen in season three, he was part of the Rebel Alliance and Mon Mothma mentions it in Rogue One. Like he is, his militancy has caused us problems and we've parted ways. Uh, he doesn't really look at us as allies anymore. So I think we'll be at a point in time where Saw will be working a little more closely with the alliance that doesn't exist yet, but I think he'll be more willing to work with someone like Mon Mothma. But I want some of those moments, probably more in season two, where everyone's like, Saw, <laughs> cool it. Like, you can't do that. And he'll be like, you don't go far enough. And mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot to explore there. Today's video is brought to you by Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Whether you're traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or just want to learn a new language, Babbel makes learning addictively fun and easy with bite-sized lessons that teach phrases you'll actually use in the real world. Unfortunately, Shriwook and Hatiz aren't options yet, but you can choose from 14 languages including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. 15-minute lessons created by over 100 language experts are a perfect way to learn on the go, and you can learn through several options outside of regular lessons with access to podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes in the language you want to learn. And if you're not seeing the results you're hoping for, Babbel offers a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash starwars. That's babbel.com slash starwars for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. And now, back to questions. S. Kurup asks why Light and Magic didn't cover the prequels or major leaps in technology like Jar Jar. I don't know. You know, I was I was a little frustrated by that as well uh, when we were watching the series and it was like, okay, the first episode is all about the original Star Wars. And I was like, great. And then the next one will probably be about Empire. And I was like, oh, no, it's still about Star Wars. And then the next one's about Empire. And I was like, okay. And then the next one's about Jedi and kind of the 80s. And I was like, we're running out of time <laughs> to talk about more big moments where I'm like, I don't consider light and magic to be a star wars documentary it's about industrial light and magic which was born out of star wars so those early uh movies are obviously very important to show its creation but i was a little bummed that we didn't get more about the prequels and the jump to um digital filmmaking it kind of just went like and now we're using computers and here's jurassic park and then the rest of it was just a, a really quick run through up to where we are today. And it didn't get the attention that Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back did. I think there's a lot of different reasons for this. One could be that like, for them to say, now we use computers and then just show people on computers. Like that's not as exciting as seeing them build models and have fun in the 70s. Uh, also, it could be that there might be another season coming for this or the idea of these little docu-series covering chunks of time. We could get another one kind of all about the prequels or the people involved in the prequels don't want to talk about it because they're still burned. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, Th that was my kind of like, maybe that means we'll get another season. Um, that That was my biggest complaint about the documentary is that it wasn't longer and that we didn't spend 
a whole episode on <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think they needed to. It's just something I would be interested in. But I, I thought that for sure we would cover the prequels in more depth. And uh, I was a little bummed that they didn't have the chance to, but I think they were really showing the big ways that, okay, ILM changed movie making in the 70s, and then here's the next time that it completely changed the way movies are made uh, with Jurassic Park, and then like kind of going into the digital era where Attack of the Clones is the first ever fully digitally shot movie and like i didn't know that george was responsible for helping create non-linear editing uh stuff like that i think they were just trying to show here's every single way that ilm changed the way movies are made forever made it more accessible to everyone because now we have non-linear editors on our phone which is insane that they push technology forward to the point where anyone can make movies. And that was kind of a celebration of uh, what th- that documentary was about. I loved that moment when Phil Tippett uh, talked about getting his daughter into making movies. Mm-hmm. Her saying like, I feel like I'm too old for my toys now. And he's like, if you're a filmmaker, you never have to grow up. Let's go make movies with your toys. And like, not oh, so sweet. So I think that's what they were focused on a little more than just here's all of the Star Wars stuff. But I do wish we had talked a little more about the prequels and Jar Jar and uh, all of those leaps in technology as well. I think, like, because of Ahmed Best's huge, you know, comeback when they brought him out at Celebration and everybody was cheering, and then all the fuss over the show Obi-Wan and having Ewan and Hayden back, maybe they were just waiting for that kind of feedback from the fans so they they know now that like the prequel fans are grown up they want to see more prequel stuff so maybe this was their plan all along that eventually they'll bring out more of this kind of behind the scenes stuff but they just needed to assess the the hype yeah i think that maybe they they said we're going to do a six-part documentary and here's uh what every episode will be about and hopefully it does well it gets a good reception I loved it. I would love it if they said, we're going to do another one. Here's six more, and we're going to focus more on the prequels. Like, I would be all about that. I specifically want to see how they filmed the pod racing stuff, because yeah. a lot of that was miniature stuff that they made. Yeah, that's something that I really miss. It, it takes me back to like the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes, that that was just this era where... The Phantom Menace and all all the prequels really made a bunch of miniatures. Everyone acts like everything is digital, but it's like they made a ton of miniatures. Uh, I loved seeing the Minas Tirith miniature they built or the Bigature as they called them. Like all that miniature stuff is really, really fun. Dion Stauber wants to know if Ahsoka will be alienating for regs if it's too closely linked to the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. I don't really think so. I think that that's always a danger with Star Wars, that the more you connect with other material, the less likely it is that someone has seen all of it. And that's why, like I've talked about the funnel before, it's like, if you're reading a Star Wars book, chances are you have watched The Clone Wars. So we can we can kind of reference up the funnel safely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think someone watching Ahsoka has not necessarily seen The Clone Wars. I think a live-action show is farther up the funnel. But I, I think Dave Filoni knows that. He has said as far back as when he was working on The Clone Wars is that we have to craft these stories as if uh, someone coming into them has never seen Star Wars before. And I, I think that they were under the assumption that they've watched The Clone Wars, but not necessarily watched the prequels or the originals. Mm -hmm. So I think he is going to craft this story in a similar way that will encourage people <laughs> to go watch The Clone Wars, but not necessarily just drop uh, the world between worlds in without any explanation. Yeah, they've done a great job of that so far by incorporating little bits and pieces of the animated shows into live action, but to the point where it's like, if you hadn't seen those shows, you, you're still enjoying yourself. You're still like, hey, look at this blue guy with a cowboy hat. We don't know about his uh, relationship with Boba Fett, but the fans of the animated shows will know the history of that character. Yeah, Cad Bane was... Honestly, I think the book of Boba Fett one of the best things it, it got right was its fan service and its uh, character inclusion. Black Kersantan is a perfect example to me, someone that shows up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Black Kersantan from the comics. This is amazing. But if you, like my parents have obviously never read a Star Wars comic and they didn't need to. They saw him appear and they were like, bad guy Wookiee, got it. Like that's what his scary, character- Scary Wookiee. Yeah. Uh, Oh, what did they they had a Chewbacca nickname for him and now I can't remember what it was like a Chewbacca something like that <laughs> something silly but uh yeah they, they see scary Chewbacca and they're like I I know everything I need to know and I think that that's kind of the trend that will continue or something like Cobb Vanth uh they bring him into the Mandalorian and they very briefly summarize his story from the Aftermath trilogy yeah, they adapted it. They made a couple changes, but they they told enough so that people who didn't know the character now know the character. So it's definitely possible. I I think that for now I trust them to not alienate people and hopefully be more welcoming and be like, hey, do you like that Hera character? Uh, you can watch a whole series about her. Mm -hmm. Zero Zero asks if Bo-Katan will go after the Darksaber by any means necessary, forcing Din into a fight. And Zero Zero suggests that Bo-Katan could, like, kidnap Grogu, for example, and basically say, like, you, you can have him back after you fight me. <laughs> well, I don't like that. I know you don't. It's hard to tell from, you know, what little footage we did see at Celebration. Also, a lot of people didn't get to see that footage, but... It didn't come off to me as as Bo-Katan had kidnapped Grogu. It came off more as they they all maybe got separated and she she just ended up with him. Um, but I don't know. It's it's hard because I love the character of Bo-Katan so much, and I don't want to see her become an ultimate villain to Din. I know she's kind of headed in that direction, but I think by any means necessary is maybe a little too far. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that that's the conflict they're setting up is with Bo-Katan being like, if you've watched the Clone Wars, you know that she has a bad past. She has a dark history. She is on a path for redemption, but not necessarily. So I think that's the conflict they're introducing and the fear in the audience of like, 
how far will she go to get what she wants? Or will she put aside her own selfish desires and her, her want to lead Mandalore? And will she follow Din? I think that's kind of going to be her character arc for season three. So I'm, I'm hopeful that she is not willing to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to uh, throw the idea around in her head for a little while, but ultimately, hopefully, side with good. Yeah, it, it seems like maybe the direction they're going is the whole idea of having to fight to win the Darksaber over. Maybe it's time for that whole idea to end. Because like we we made Mandalore less about violence with with Duchess Satine and all that, so maybe this is gearing up to just change how Mandalorian history works. the The whole fight for the dark saber maybe won't be a thing after this show. Yeah, and I I think they're probably heading towards uh like it's time for the way to change. Like we don't have to follow the same rules forever. And Bo-Katan especially will be someone who she became superstitious about, you know, I took the dark saber that one time and it did not go well. So clearly I have to do it the right way now. And it's like, you you know, that didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I like the idea that she is pointing at Din in this kind of like, Oh, he's one of those, like he's part of that. Uh, children of the watch cult and they're they're all superstitious and blah 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 meanwhile she's over here being very superstitious about this one thing so and din is over here trying to not follow the way and he's like would you just take the sword please and she won't so i think that's an interesting dynamic between them That's all the time we have for questions today. If you want to leave a question for next week's video, just put it in the comments below or sign up for Patreon to join our weekly Q&A discussion. If you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And as always, thanks for watching, and may the Force be with you.